Welcome to episode 15 of the Narrative Wargamer podcast, a non-competitive 40k podcast with a focus on fun and narrative gameplay, as well as hobby news and our latest hobby projects. I am Tony Rhodes, and tonight I'm joined by Dave Barker. Good evening. And for the first time, Daniel Foley. Hello. As always, before we get started, you can find us at Narrative Wargamer on Facebook, or you can follow us on Twitter at Narrative40k, and on Instagram at Narrative Wargamer. You can also contact us via email at narrativewargamer at gmail.com if you have any questions, or if you would like to join us on a future episode. If you want to support the show and help us grow, you can do so by joining our Patreon from only $2 a month. The support from our patrons helps towards the cost of producing the show and towards awesome new content for you guys in the future. Finally, if you want to support the show for free, you can do by visiting the awesome folks over at Element Games for all your hobby supplies and gaming miniatures. Just use our affiliate link below to visit their web store and that way any purchases you make will directly help support the podcast which I have started seeing the first results of. So we have had some wonderful listeners out there who have actually been using our affiliate links and we, we've we been getting a little kickback from Element Games as a result for it. So uh, that's great. And that's already helping, uh, helping put, uh, certainly towards the hosting costs of the show, <laughs> which is great. So yeah, um, links for everything are in the description below. So please check them out and get involved with the growing community. One member of which is with us tonight. So, Dan, hello. Welcome hello. to the show. Uh, it's, Welcome to the show, Dan. It's, it's a pleasure to be here. That's exciting. <laughs> it's great to have you. Thank it's you. Like I just mentioned, um, we're always happy to have any of the listeners on the show. Anyone wants to come on can do, and uh, you certainly were one such listener. Yes, I was. I've uh, been uh, working my way through the back catalogue, so uh, it's been a pleasure to listen to while I'm uh, looking after small small people and getting on with hobby and stuff so it's been great good have you, have you been enjoying it then i have i have i i just finished the tank episode the r oh, the armored one spearhead. yeah that the spearhead one which was uh being a fellow tanker type uh enthusiast uh it was quite interesting um well, hopefully, if if you're going uh, back through the catalogue in reverse, uh, it won't seem too bad as you get to some of the earlier episodes. <laughs> but I imagine the quality <laughs> probably does dip a little. Bit. <laughs> I'm sure not. I'm sure. But yeah, so uh, we thought we'd have a little introduction with you first of all, and you know, uh, welcome you to the show. So, like first and foremost, how long have you been playing 40k for? Um, so not as long as Dave, uh, but uh, still quite. Only, only because she's younger. Yeah, that is true. That is that is true. Uh, I've been playing since second edition, um, and uh, so I'd like to say that was when I was about ten, and never really stopped. Um, carried on playing the all through the different editions, um, doing lots of different armies, uh, mainly Imperium. In fact, pretty much only Imperium. Imperium, really, <laughs> but uh, but uh, yeah, I've tried. I've dabbled in a few Xenos and uh, Chaos Armies here and there, but um, yeah. So I've 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 done lots of narrative stuff, uh, written my own campaigns, play Necromunda. I play most most affiliate Games Workshop games as well, um, and a few other different ones. And uh, just forty k keeps bringing me back if that makes sense 
So you say you've mostly collected like Imperium armies. Yeah. Uh, why do you think that is? Have you just not had a, a great affiliation with the Xenos? Because I have to admit, I'm actually the other way around. I've always been practically Xenos exclusive. It's very much a case of I like drawing a lot of a lot of the armies I do either off of historical stuff or stuff or films, and I very much. Um, love the whole sort of uh, underdog and I always see the Imperium as the underdog even though they kind of own the galaxy and have a quite a huge stake in it but they're kind of the quick fallback they're always on right. the back fallback. yeah 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 yeah. Um, and I always like the idea the, the imagery with the Imperium is re- really good so you've got the sort of avenging angels but then you've also got the, the, the grunts on the ground who are sort of holding the line as much as they can while they're being eaten uh, or torn apart, or whichever horribleness uh, happens to them, and and that sort of reflects in a lot of the armies I do um, with the guard or the blood angels. Again, the, the imagery, the imagery stuff uh, is really important. Um, and usually, when I'm doing armies, I'll base it on a piece of background. So I think I think I've done. About half of my armies were based on the entire conflicts of Armageddon, both wars. That, well, not including the Chaos one, but both um, two and three. Uh, so I did Templars, Angels, Guard across there and just did um, them one after the other. Did you do Steel Legion, though? Uh, yes. Yeah. No, it was Steel Legion. Uh, was, oh, excellent. Yeah. So, yeah, it was, it was all very... Do, do, do. and the the sort of I tend to either pick a campaign and go with armies from that or I will look at the um, order of battle stuff in, in the codexes and just run armies off of the order of battles so like base, my guardsman are com- is a complete platoon based on the list of infantry units that you would get in in that specific situation which is fun to a point until you start having to cut up individual squad numbers because you're that, you know. <laughs> He's cutting up. Uh, Do you go as far as naming all your uh, troopers then? Uh, no, I, I've named all the officers. Um, I've named all the tanks, as you all know, Dave. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. It might be a good time to confess that we, we are members of the same game. Yes. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I have played, played against several of your armies. Yeah. Um, and uh, I did it, yeah, I... My my tanks are infamous in in places. <laughs> I did. Well, what's the naming scheme then, please, Dan? Uh, I knew this was going to come up. So they're named after um, all. All of them are named after Disney princesses, um, <laughs> <laughs> because the army heavily um, is is heavily influenced influenced on um, Allied armor from World War Two. Um, so they've got sandbags all over them. They've got barbed wire. They've got um, hedgerow cutters. The works. They've got guys clambering over the top. Um, but also, I wanted every individual tank to have a name. So um, they're all named after Disney princesses, which was great because I managed to get um, on one of the Twitch streams that uh, Games Workshop did with one of their events with this army, and uh, managed to get one of their um, after some refusal i managed to get one of their their um presenters to only call the tanks by their uh by their affiliate names which was quite 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 <laughs> an achievement quite an achievement i was quite proud of that so um, is it in that sort of like um 
sort of like pin-up style. Yeah, I'll um, um, I'll put theme. some pictures on the on of the sides. Uh, so I've got Jasmine, Tiger Lily. Uh, I've got Walt is Pask's tank. I've got he's <laughs> he's the only non-Disney prince. I've got uh, Elsa and Anna, who are the uh, Hydroflak tanks, uh, because they love they let they let it go with all the flak. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I've got. <laughs> I love it. So, and as I always say, he's not he's not actually named one after my favourite Disney princess. Which one's that? Then? Which is uh, Kylo Ren. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I could do. I could. I could yeah. name one Kylo. I'm running out of princess names. Actually, I am running out of names. Because um, uh, that, that's where you need to start naming all your like. Chimeras and stuff off the animal companions of said princesses. Oh, now that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. That is a good idea. I mean, you the, like, the, uh, like, the uh, you have one called Sebastian. I I have actually named the Trojan Tinkerbell. So, that, yeah, <laughs> well, go, that's doable. Yeah, that's doable. <laughs> that's ridiculous. I love it. That's such a brilliant idea because it sounds absurd when you'd say it as like you know oh it's like disney princesses blah 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 but if you didn't know that or took that out of that context just seeing and can see a, a military what? grade vehicle that's been like dubbed the name of like jasmine it doesn't seem too far-fetched i mean no and the thing is it actually really characterizes the vehicles really well so you 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 feel each loss and that you know the crews you can't see the crews but you know the crews are in there they've they've put like i've as i said i've put um Lots of stowage on them. There's loads of tarps and sandbags and barbed wire that's been cobbled on for sort of extra extra protection. And each of them, each of the vehicles looks like they're lived in, so they are actually more like uh, homes than uh, than the sort of vehicles. I've seen your one in the group that you posted um, a little while back that has like a full command squad like riding on the back of it like the standard bear the medic the like presumably company commander riding on the back of this Lima russ it looks ace yeah i've got a couple of other ideas because i haven't finished i've only halfway through the company um i've got a couple of ideas i want to do the classic sort of guy on the back with the the equivalent 50 cow heavy stubber shooting off of the back so i need to do that one <laughs> um but there's a couple of other things i've got in mind for them um which because my favourite one was the um, the Trojan because I've got I added a hook to it I've got like um, shells on a on a crate um, on a not a crate what they called uh, a pallet yeah toolbox and a guy operating the winch on the back uh, so I just went to town with them because they've been they're actually a relative they're only about oh no they're not that they're not that they're about three three years now that army. And then it kind of grew to an infantry platoon, and then it kind of grew to a bit more, and then I haven't really stopped. <laughs> <laughs> that's normal, Dan. That's yeah, absolutely that's normal. okay. That's right. That's all right, isn't it? That is okay. I mean, that's pretty much how my aqua has been going. Yeah, yeah, it's only stopped growing briefly so it can get painted. Then it will continue to grow some more. <laughs> well, I've I've taken a, a sort of a break on them, uh, just so because I, I I love painting. Uh, khaki up to a point and I just wanted to paint some colour so I'm doing some different things now um, but uh, yeah it's been, they're a really nice army I've enjoyed them doing them So what would you say then is like your favourite part of the hobby as a whole because obviously you know you've 
you've clearly got an investment in your armies and your collection. Um, see, I, I, I'm a painter first and foremost, I think. That's my sort of main thing. I think it sort of goes painting, painting, background, gaming. I think game, but it depends on the, 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 the time of day, I think, to be honest. But painting is a big, big aspect. Um, and I try and get as much painting as done as possible. Um, and I love the, I love pushing myself to doing more things and converting up new things and, and adding bits and pieces. So I'm currently doing a, a Blood Angel army because it's nice to sort of push myself. I'm trying to do them in the same sort of style. It's sort of more sort of, um, heavy metal style than, than just a quick bish bash bosh job. Um, but I'm starting to regret that now. <laughs> It's taking a long time. It's, it's starting to take a long time. Is it the process of painting that you like, Dan? Actually making the achievements and just bashing through it or learning new skills and finding different ways to get things on the board? I think... Or what is it about the painting that you enjoy? It, it's a massive um, de-stress for me. So it, it, it really um, allows me to just sort of relax. Um, but then... As it, the reason why I enjoy doing it is pushing myself to do more and more sort of more and more extreme things so learning how to do new things um, like learning how to use an airbrush learning how to use glazes all those things which you can pick up through videos and all and all books and all kinds of uh, different um, media and it just allows you to um, sort of push yourself with the with the skills, and I know I know it's not everyone's favorite part of the hobby, but it's uh, just that sort of the, one of the coolest things about the game is when you both have two fully painted armies sitting there looking at each other, and then you can set up the scene, and you've got like all all your rows upon rows of infantry or rows upon rows of hordes of tyranids or orcs or whatever it is and they're just going at each other and it just looks cool and it's that sort of when they're both fully painted and you've got nice terrain you've got nice um armies to look at and it just creates that scene it's such a good feeling when it's all set out and done and you, and you can sit back and go oh, i did that that's great <laughs> yeah. yeah i do think it's a very rewarding aspect of the hobby definitely yeah um and it's um it's it's just a, it's just a nice way to spend an evening just chilling out and uh not worrying about the the world or or uh just switching off which is lovely excellent um and then the last thing I would ask is do you have any favorite moment from any past games that you've played Oh. Anything that sticks in your mind is like a really cinematic or memorable like event. So there's two that stick out. One's relatively recent, and one uh, one is far into the past. Um, when um, I do the 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 past one first, if that's all right. But the um, yeah, sure. the one that sticks do out. Chronological order. Yeah, I, I um I was asked because because everyone sort of understood how much I I enjoyed the background. I was asked back in the when the first book for the eye. You remember the Eye of Terror Codex when it came out, the Black Crusade. Yeah, yeah. So I was asked to write some effectively stratagems for a big game uh, that we were going to do in a in a GW store um, and to balance them out. 
slightly and uh i wrote some really nice sort of uh background and um the one i always sticks out is um the one i wrote was oh private private pool doesn't look so well and the whole idea of that was um the chaos side got to choose uh an infantry member on the imperium side and uh they could this was back in the day when you could um possess miniatures to get greater demons to come out but you had to do it with your own champion but this stratagem allowed you to pick somebody else's sort of infantry uh sergeant and just go pop there's a greater demon in nurgle and it was so cool <laughs> it was just like this this sort of um poor poor guardsman just looked very unwell and then suddenly boff this uh huge uh greater demon in nurgle comes out of nowhere and uh watching all these sort of guardsmen sort of running around panicking and but each um each sort of side had their own sort of car so we had big guns to have a tire so we could have artillery strikes and all those sort of cinematic moments um that the game does so well we just piled on a bit more um and it was such a, a great um moment and then the other one i was recent at warhammer world and i played a, a, a very good friend of mine with his against his nurgle army again um using the guardsmen and we played on the uh downed warlord board uh the one with the sort uh, of yes the most expensive battle of yeah ever. i was gonna if, if i was gonna go that's the board i was i was going to play on and uh we played one of the vigilous um um no the the ambush mission with the the city fight rules from chapter approved 2018 i think it was or 17 18 one of the thing i think it was 2018 2018 and um basically it was this nurgle ambush on the tank column and it was just a case of these tanks trying to drive to 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 the end the exit point and they just could they were just bogged down in zombies and plague marines and then finally just as two tanks managed to pull away mortarion comes down and crashes in front of them and get, and and it's just this sort of moment of realization that they're not getting away <laughs> and it was just oh, it was just the, fantastic the abandonment of hope yes it was brilliant oh, it was lost it was it <laughs> It was such a, a sort of cool sort of yes, the bad guys have won this, and and from the outset, looking at it because of the way the board worked, and it was there was no way there was no way that the guardsmen were getting out alive of this, but it was just that last again, it was that last stand. No, we're going to fight until the death, take out as many as we can as possible, and it was just such a cool moment. So yeah, they they would be my uh, sort of top forty k standout moments. I've got a forty k standout moment playing against Dan, if that's appropriate. Oh, go on then. Yeah, tell us. So about 18 months, two years ago, uh, we had uh, a hankering for playing second edition, right, Dan? Oh, yes. Uh, so <laughs> I pulled together a few Rogue Trader era um, Eldar uh, with a, a pirate squad and a, an avatar and some uh, fire dragons. Fire, yeah, fire dragons. Uh, and a few bits and pieces like that. It was only a fair small force. And, and it, was your, it was your guard, right? Yeah. Uh, you built a force out of your... Yep. your Slightly smaller at that time, uh, guard army, uh, with some infantry and one um, Lehman Russ, right? Yep. And um, it's only a four-turn game, second edition. I remember and, this. <laughs> we had some. We got Psyker set up, and it was all, all brilliant. I got a party in there, and you got a, a, a sanctioned Psyker. Yep. And you got the drop on me, right? You got the first yep. turn, and you started. And the first thing you did was craned your Lehman Lemon Russ around <laughs> and fired a big shot at my avatar that I'd been forced to set up in the open because of the terrain and, and placement. 
And the rules in second edition allowed a misfire, <laughs> which you promptly did, and blew up your own weapon with your first shot yep. and pretty much crippled that lemon rust for the rest of the game. <laughs> um, I think it didn't it blow up, and then no, uh, it blew yeah, I up. Think, I think I think it blew up, flipped, and hit the lemon rust next to it and crippled that one. That's right. <laughs> That's right. That was it. And, uh, Sounds about right. So, but uh, it, it, totally, you know, it was annoying. Uh, momentarily but then it reminded you how brilliant some of those rules were that give you those uh, uh, sort of cinematic effects are a lot more difficult to achieve these days but, but there is plenty of stuff out there that will help you on that way because there are uh, as I've sort of you know helped try to bring to light with this show there are lots of extra resources for playing this game yeah. and lots of ways of creating unique moments so it's a uh, it's certainly doable, um, but yeah, like that sounds like you've got a, a very uh, colourful background in the hobby, there, Dan. So we're <laughs> welcome to have you on board, and uh, you you have joined us on a rather fortuitous episode, haven't you? Well, yes, I'm I'm very excited about what we're going to talk about this evening, <laughs> as I think is everyone, because as no doubt every listener knows, uh, over this past weekend. Uh, Games Workshop have announced Warhammer 40,000 9th edition is on the way. So we're just going to have <laughs> a big 9th edition focused episode, really. Um, and we're going to break from sort of traditional format for the rest of the show. And we're basically just going to have a big open discussion about everything that we've seen, everything that we know, and all our hopes and dreams for the new edition of the game. That sounds really good. Looking forward to to talking about all that because I haven't been talking about all that with everybody ever since it landed. <laughs> exactly. Like it's going to be just as much fun for us as it is going to be for the listeners, hopefully. So uh, yeah, so we'll, we're going to come back with that in a moment and we're going to jump straight into everything we know so far. Are you enjoying the narrative wargamer podcast? If you are, why not check out our community Facebook group at Narrative Wargamer on Facebook. We share our latest hobby projects and narrative battles and aim to grow a community for casual and narrative 40k players. We're always excited to see the awesome things our listeners are working on and it is a great place to hang out with other like-minded hobbyists. You can also find us on Instagram at Narrative Wargamer and over on Twitter at Narrative40k for regular hobby updates on our 40k projects. Welcome, guys, not only to a new segment, but also a new edition. And what an edition it looks like it's going to be. So, who watched the reveal over the weekend, guys? I did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did. You made a bit of a, more of a party of it than me. I sat doing a, a household chore in the living room. And it was like we knew something was going to happen. I installed Twitch on my Amazon device connected to my TV just so I could watch it. Uh, while I was working through some paperwork, and uh, the whole family like, sort of disappeared and left me alone. Um, and it was like, it was, I was meant to watch it. Normally I don't watch many of the announcement videos, but it, it, it just kind of came together as a, a viewing experience for me. What about you, Dan? For me, it was like my inner eight-year-old just jumped around and went, oh, look, look at the, look, and she's got a bolt gun, and now, oh, look at her now, she's got this, and, and oh, look, there's chainsaws, and they make noises. That was that was essentially what 
in a thought. As opposed to those silent kind of chainsaws yeah, that yeah, don't make noise. Yeah, yeah, the shh ones. Yeah, shh ones. <laughs> <laughs> those alpha legion ones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was brilliant. So, like, obviously they've been bigging it up all week that there was going to be the big 40k preview um, stream that weekend. And they they opened out the gates and they with the new cinematic trailer for the reveal of Warhammer forty thousand ninth edition, and uh, it's a pretty spectacular trailer. Like it's up on the Warhammer community site now. It's up on the actual dedicated well new brand new Warhammer forty thousand website. Like if you haven't watched it, go watch it now. Come back. We'll be right here afterwards. Have you gonna watch it? Good. <laughs> How awesome was that? I, I like the way it built up. It was well well sequenced, starting with with the guardsmen and, and building up through the, uh, shall we say, power levels. <laughs> I must admit that the, my my standout moments were they got Gore's weapon perfectly. That was yay! Look at all the atoms fall apart. That was just that was brilliant. It was just such a cool moment. And the I thought it was really cool when the sisters sort of like fought off the effects of the gorse on her hand. Yeah, it was re- it's a really nice way of showing how the acts of faith, like you're seeing how the rules reflect the the real life. If that makes sense in that respect, um, <laughs> the real fake life. Are you sure, Tony? You didn't like it just because it was a bit hawkish. She believed it wasn't actually. <laughs> Yeah, I thought it was brilliant, though. Um, I mean, out of it, I actually really liked the way Scarab Swarms were portrayed in it, because I think it's kind of hard to get the impression of how a swarm feels threatening in oh, the Necrons real sense. Just, sorry, the Necrons just in general look, felt very men- menacing in that trailer. They just felt unnerving, which was really nice. Cause... But it looks like they are just slightly tweaking the aesthetic to him for that little bit more sort of like undead aesthetic to them. Mm. So they're not just these soulless machines, they're almost like undead machines. I mean, I think that comes across not just in the video, but also in some of the miniatures that we've seen uh, previewed, which are are more like your rusty metal undead rather than your your shiny, fresh out of the tomb Necron that we've seen in the past. Yeah, so obviously after the trailer, the next thing they sort of revealed was some of the initial models that are going to be coming as part of the first wave of releases for the new edition, which included some of these new Necrons and... Yeah, the new Necron Warriors look really interesting. Got um, a really nice, if you look at them really closely, they've got the armor plating falling off. They've got um, the armature uh, skeleton underneath, which I'd never really thought about before. I just thought it was just a bit of metal whacked on top. But they've really thought about the internal um, aspects of them, which is lovely to see. Yeah, well, I've noticed that the the new heavy metal Necrons um, have this distinction between what is the the core chassis of the Necron and then like the armor plating over it. Um, you can see it in the new um, is it Illuminators Azaris, or mm. whatever it's called, um, that they revealed as part of the Pariah Psychic Awakening release. So like mm-hmm. his framework is all this sort of like almost black obsidian style metal, but then all his armor plating is this bronzy gold, and it looks like they're taking that as the new lead dynasty design for the new Necrons. Um, and it's n- not a style I've sort of previously seen done on Necrons, but it looks really nice and it really emphasizes the 
degraded aspect of some of the warriors because you notice that they're missing the armor plates on a few limbs here and there. So you can see that distinction. That was one of the questions I wanted to ask because I've not figured this out yet. Is that a new star dynasty style? Is that because there's a new dynasty of faction as part of this release or is that just the change in painting style? They seem to allude to I think to it's that. a bit of both. Yeah. They've not come out and said directly yet but I'm guessing this is either... Uh, a dynasty that directly belongs to the Silent King, or is possibly just the main one pledged to his cause. Because right. um, we know that previous to this, the main, like, post of the Necrons has been the Sawtech dynasty, which are under Emotech the Stormlord, who I believe does not get along with the Silent King. That is correct. So that, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I think. The idea is it's probably meant to be the Silent King's own legion, like his own dynasty. Okay. Yeah, uh, I'm not being, I must admit, Necron law is, is not not really my strongest. Um, and I, uh, I found that a little bit confusing. So I, I'm looking forward to uh, learning more about that as I, I pick up some of the new stuff. Their law has changed sort oh, of yeah, occasionally no. so it's very difficult to follow but i think they're now getting stuff set quite in stone now which is nice to to sort of be able to pick apart and again like anything 40k you can just say ah, it happened in this kind of context or maybe it was misunderstood or maybe they didn't quite understand how this worked and now it works this way and what i particularly like about it though is Obviously, some of the new stuff they revealed is the real like body horror aspect that they're approaching with some of the Necrons. They're not just sticking to the metallic humanoid with different war gear. They've gone that step further than a destroyer, and they've gone into this almost new sort of like I want to say scorpion style design. These like tri-legged destroyer type Necrons who've got these big like flensing claws and sives and also blasters and all sorts and since the initial trailer video they've also revealed a few additional new models and stuff from the extended necron line over on the games workshop site um and again some of the stuff in there looks crazy good there's some real like war of the worlds vibe to some of the new constructs yeah i quite like the um the giant sort of tick looking things with the weird spindly legs that just don't look quite right because they, they're just quite scary looking um i don't know the names of them but they're they they they're, they're quite horrifying <laughs> i quite like the look of these new i'm assuming it's sort of like a character rank because they don't look like cryptex they look more like bureaucrats <laughs> <laughs> These like Necrons are very tall and spindly with like long robes, um, and they look very sort of like they're just they look almost like administratum drones, but for Necrons, where they're just sort of weighed down under ritual and uh, bureaucracy almost. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. I I didn't. I got a different take from those. I I, I looked at them. I thought they looked a bit more like uh, air casting cosplay for Necrons. <laughs> Well, yeah, diplomats, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah you're right. Politicians, that's kind of the word I'm looking for. Yeah. If, if a cryptech is a mad scientist, these new guys kind of look a bit like a mad statesman. Yeah, I've gone silent there, because what I'm doing is avoiding any political satire. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I'm pretty sure they're they're probably into deadpan politics anyway. Hey. <laughs> um, but yeah, like there's all sorts and oh my god, if if that new monolith kit is indeed a new monolith, that looks amazing. I think it's such a good like twenty twenty re envisioning of what the monolith could and should look like. There's some really nice detail on that. There's some. There's. I don't know if you if you look really closely, you can see a Necron coming out of the portal from the center. Um, they've changed. Yeah. It just looks so cool. It's so clever, isn't it? Because obviously, as with all previous releases over the last uh, like ten years for Necrons, they've been slowly phasing out the green rods and the green plastic. And the new monolith, as such, does not have the green plastic portal or the green plastic gem. It's all sculpted elements of the model. And the way they've done the portal looks really cool because it's like arcing energy that's going between the two sides of the portal. But within that arcing energy, there's, like you say, elements of a warrior that's half-stepping out. Yeah, they're getting very good at at modelling or designing negative space on models. And they started doing that with the Age of Sigma stuff. With the, I don't know what Mm -hmm. they're called, the, the ghosty ones with the cloth that would be the night haunt the ones that i'm painting right now yep (laughs) those guys um and they seem to be adapting that for like the the clip where they show the Catan above the silent king they've used a lot of negative space in him as well with the sort of energy being drawn out from him which again is a fantastic idea i love it the 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 little mr manhattan in a ball yeah it, it, again, that looks brilliant. And have you seen the size of the Silent King's model? Because obviously he's in like the background of this larger army shot. He's got like, two, he's collect- two sort of guard rocks, which are on separate bases yeah. as well. <laughs> I huge. noticed that. If you look closely, you can see that they're on separate bases. It's a bit like... Imagine if the... The Bone Reaper King guy from Major Sigma. Imagine if all his retainers were on separate bases and had to stay in coherency with him rather than be on his diorama base. Yeah. It seems a little bit like that, but it's really cool. And they're huge, like you say. Like, I'm just curious as to what they're going to be, but they looks really good. I imagine some um, sort of big laser. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other thing that I've noticed they've done a lot of with the new aesthetic of the Necrons is they appear to be integrating a lot of Blackstone into the actual structures. So on the Silent King, um, part of his staff has this like Blackstone um, cylindrical... Um, I don't know what you call it, but like keystone in it. Um, the new Illuminator Zazaris has one like mounted on the shoulder. Um, the two, the, I think, I think those two huge like accompanying pylon things for the Silent King. I think they're meant to be made out of it. And if you look at the monolith, it's kind of got like two layers to its structure. Yeah, the outer a... layer is the Necrodermis living metal, and the inner layer looks like it's the Blackstone. That's quite interesting. I've not noticed that at all. Yeah, it's almost like peeling up the the sort of outer layers, almost like a skin peeling off. Where it's got sort of where it's repairing itself or sort of scabbing over. Um, yeah, and then I wouldn't be surprised if things like the weird new Triwalker things or some of these new uh, bureaucrats or those crazy tick 
Necrons or whatever. I wouldn't suppose if they have elements of Blackstone in their construction. And I'm guessing it's probably going to be one a big story point moving forward. Um, well, I'm quite excited about that because that was the that was the one thing they sort of started on with the fall of Cadia. They kind of went into that sort of all oh, Blackstone has this property, and then they sort of that went very silent for a bit. Um, so I'm quite excited that they're bringing back the Blackstone plot thread because it was quite an interesting one. The sort of properties it has, the on and off switch esque um, ability to turn the warp on, turn the warp off type. Thing, which is going to be quite interesting to see what they do with that. Yeah, so we've talked about the new like Necron models that we've seen, so let's transition briefly into the new wave of yet more Primaris Marines that we're going to be seeing soon hitting our tables. Well, they, they had to be Primaris Marines. We weren't going to get new Firstborn, were we? <laughs> no. <we're not. laughs> That's not a complaint. <laughs> no, because to be honest, they look pretty excellent. Yeah, there's some lovely, lovely sculpts with the. Um, I like the uh, bikes, and I, I think the um, the look of them is very Batman esque. I, I love the new bikes. Like one, actually, I was half expecting the eventual Primaris bikes to be Grav bikes because I thought they might use the Grav plate tech that all the other Primaris vehicles use. Yeah, but I'm surprisingly pleased to see they've got some big chunky tires on there. And yeah. actually, they're not graph um, bikes. So I'd really like the new design. I especially like the new bolt mount, like the way the bolters are actually built into the vehicle this time, rather than like mounted over the handlebars of the previous iteration. The thing that those bikes reminded me of more than anything when I first saw them was, um, I don't know whether you chaps were the same generation to remember the anime Akira. Yes, there is a wonderful... Uh, um, picture doing the rounds where someone has drawn the front cover of that but as the bike and a bloody i'll try and find it for you but yeah there's (laughs) there's a really good picture of that someone's drawn that sounds good but he's in that same style uh, of the motorbike and i remember you know well it was old enough that it came on an imported videotape that one of your friends had and you just go around to the house and we'd watch it end on end and they cut out bits of it and it didn't make a lot of sense but it didn't matter because it was cool and you got this fantastic bike right (laughs) (laughs) and that's that's kind of what it reminds me of uh, that shape and that style of those bikes more than anything and then of course it reminds me of a lamborghini in terms of ground claims (laughs) (laughs) i mean one of the things i think is going to be surprising when we actually see those models in the flesh as it were is probably just how big they are because the Primaris riding it is like I wouldn't say he's lost in the model, but he's certainly he's not the prominent thing. Like the bike itself is more of a um, an eye catcher than the guy riding it. So and the Primaris guys they're not small models; they're pretty chunky. So that bike is going to be pretty big. Yeah, I think it is because I mean the, the last really cool bikes that Games Workshop released were the, the game the Gene Steel Cult ones, right? <clears throat> Which are, uh, those are more recent than the custard ones, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they're, they're certainly the coolest ones, in my opinion, that they've released recently. <laughs> and they, because they look really accurate, they look like trail bikes, properly like trail bikes. But even next to the existing marine and chaos marine bikes, they're small. Uh, and these new bikes are going to be even bigger again. They're going to be easily twice the size of, of some of those uh, cult bikes. So they've got to be on bigger bases as well. Yeah, so I'm interested really to see that. That was one of the things I was thinking about they, when, when I started thinking through how those bikes would work. 
they look like they're on the um, the Griffin Knight bases, the uh, the oval Griffin Knight ones from AOS, AOS, AOS. The AOS. yeah, um, so they're going to be quite chunky, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I I do like them. And then uh, the other thing that I have to say, I think, is my favourite little feature out of all the new models is, on lo and behold, the new Primaris Lieutenant. I love that helmet. I love the very, like, knight-errant kind of, like, look to the, like, visor that he's got. I think it looks really cool. It is, yes. I mean, um, it's weird, because in the artwork, there's versions of him with a sword and the storm shields, and the model on the new website is the shield and Volkite pistol. So I'm not sure if he's going to be a multi-kit or if he's going to be built one way in the starter box and another in the blister or what, but in either case, there's some nice new design aesthetics to the new um, like mark plate that looks very knightly, almost a little bit storm hosty. I, w- I would say that what they're now starting to do is putting some of the personality back into the Primaris range, because they've kept them, I'm yes. guessing they've kept them quite, not bland, that's the wrong word, but quite sort of plain, uh, not in a negative way, so that you can customise them for whatever chapters, but now they're sort of putting a bit more of the scroll work back in, the, the sort of more gothic yeah, look to it, yeah. yeah. That new Primaris Lieutenant, when I first saw him, more than anything, and, and I agree with you, Dan, Completely, uh, but more than anything, he reminded me of, and I know they've had to paint him as an ultra because that's what they do. But he reminded me of a uh, a dark angel uh, with yes. a shield and a pistol. You know, the faceplate, which is very knight errant, like like you said, uh, and that you know the the dangling talismans and stuff around his belt, uh, and and the iron. I assume it's an iron halo behind him. Um, he just reminded me of that sort of the bits. I know it's not very popular. I quite liked the the. Oh, it's Heresy Dark Angel novels. Uh, I know that's a, yep. a minority no. opinion. <laughs> I like them as well. I, I thought they were really good. Like the Heresy era Dark Angels, yeah. And I think you're right. It's very similar design aesthetics, and I love that about them. It's little things like um, on a couple of the new um, Primaris, I think it's most of the character models, they they like the, is it the Van Brace that's the forearm bit of armor yep. plating? Um, I can't remember what the actual word is for it, but basically, like that, that forearm bit of the power armor looks really sculpted, and it almost in like the Blood Angel style, a very muscular sort of like shape to it. Um, again, a bit more sort of like medieval armor, like plate, like plate mail, almost a bit, and it looks really nice. Yeah, I'm same with you, Dave. But I, I thought I looked at them and went. They would make a lovely set for the Black Templars. Uh, with all- yeah, yeah, similar setting, right? Yeah. Yes, they would look lovely as Templars. Oh, I almost want to see them like that. Could that have not been a throwback to third edition? Could they not have been Templars in this like, I mean, that's, release? that's where Templars were biggest, weren't it? Yeah, that would have been really cool. Templars versus Necrons. <laughs> um, but, yeah, and... Like I said, we, technically we don't know yet, but the, 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 the smart money is on the fact that the new starter box for the new set is presumably going to be Ultramarines versus Necrons of the Silent King or equivalent. Um, 
I don't know whether or not there's a small chance there might be some sisters as like a release or a, maybe a this is a what you do next. A bit like the um, first strike box sets and stuff that they did. There's like four yeah, release sets. Perhaps. There's been so many sisters releases over the last six months, so I think they're just capitalizing on those releases. And um, there may be a new starter set, or maybe not, or maybe they'll just uh, build something that allows you to quickly and easily use sisters uh, with or against uh, Necrons. But I think uh, they're bringing sisters from. a lot more to the forefront of the, like, um, the Imperium within the game as well. Like you've got the Space Marines are forever the, you know, the true like poster boys of the hobby. But I think they're trying to make the poster, <laughs> the poster boys and girls of the Imperium is meant to be Space Marines and Sisters, as if they're going to be like the two halves of the most active military bra- branches of the Imperium. Do you think that was part of the escalation that we saw in the, the launch video where it starts with, with a guardsman and then the guardsmen see the sisters as heroes that save us and then the sisters see the space marines are reaching more rare. So you're increasing in rarity and uh, combat power um, as, yeah, as that I escalation do. happened. I do. Um, and I think we're going to see a lot more of the sisters of battle pushed into the spotlight by Games Workshop. I, I mean, certainly don't think they're going to be looking to try and outshine the space right. marines. But I, I mean, they archetypally are the um, the the mains. Were well, their first the when the Necrons first appeared in second. That was the first battle report they they went against was Sisters Sanctuary One Hundred One. Yes, I was wondering whether or not we might have seen Sisters versus Necrons as the starter box set for this edition because it would be very reminiscent of the whole Sanctuary One Hundred One conflict. It's very interesting um, on their website. They've got three army sections on the on the website. Um, my they haven't official uh, yet. They haven't officially said. Yeah, we're all assuming it's a box set, but could it be an army and a book? And you, I don't know. I ju- who knows? Uh, it could be um, <laughs> a bit like the sisters collectors box. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Where it's the codex and the starter force, and they might do the free feature starter forces. I mean, that, maybe that, that could be. Yeah, I, I, that's just a thought. But it's not. It's not. Uh, I do certainly think that the, the trying to push this trio of force uh, factions to the front of the uh, like the spotlight of the hobby right now, and that being Space Marines, Necrons, and Sisters. Now, I don't know whether or not that's going to be reflected in any kind of star box or small-scale star box, who knows, but I think sisters are going to start getting a lot of publicity <laughs> within the hobby. And then, to be honest, one of the next most like hotly anticipated new things that's going to be coming along with 9th edition is the advent of the new Warhammer 40,000 app. The long asked for digitization of future publications rule sets and army building tools all officially uh, created by games workshop and hopefully supported very well in the future and it might seem like a a small thing to some people but i think to others it's going to be a big boon to the community if they do it right I can't if they do it right, and that's that's my concern. Uh, I, I think I, I want to see it, and I will certainly get hold of it. I want to see, it. Heard... I want to see it succeed, but I don't know. Yeah, 
my, my concern is that some of the things I've seen before, like the, the Blood Bowl app, is kind of all it does is give you an electronic access to the book and you have to buy it separately to the existing books if you already got the physical ones. And it really, really undermines the apps. And uh, Well, they have already confirmed the future codexes and I would assume this extends to all future publications like campaign books and so on. Um, that if you buy the physical paper copy, it will come with a redemption code for the digital copy as well. Right. Well, that's good. That's good to hear. I had not picked up on that. So that's that's really positive. Uh, I just hope that then it's it's it still needs to be a little bit more than just a, a PDF accessing an app, which is what you get with a Blood Bowl app. And then you have to buy bits and, and things to expand the teams. And it, it never really worked for me. So hopefully... Hopefully, it's it's a lot better than that. But uh, I, I have a, a, not a great experience with some of those apps in the past. I think they've been a bit overpriced and have not really worked. So uh, it's a fear, I suppose, I'm expressing rather than a, a real... But then that said, I have to say, I'm a big fan of the Citadel Paint app. I think that is an example of an official GW app that they've done really well, and I find mm-hmm. it really useful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. My base colour for my flesh terrors, I, I managed to, to dig that out of. Uh, stop flesh terrors, are they? They're flesh eaters. It's because I paint them <laughs> flesh terror red. I keep saying that. Uh, I, I got that out of the Citadel colour. I do agree, that's actually a success, and I, I, sh- I should take that into my thinking as well. I've, I think as well, the guys who they've got doing I I, I know they've already done a... Is it a I'm sure they've already done an Age of Sigma one. I don't know if that's yes, anyone's used that. There is one. I don't. I've not used that. The, the existence of the Age of Sigma one is why a lot of people have been crying out for the forty k one for a long time because it seems like the Age of Sigma one is a proof of concept. Right. It works well enough that people who have that want an equivalent forty k. So even if it was just a minimum of a forty k version of the Age of Sigma app, it sounds like there would certainly be an audience who would enjoy that. Mm. And it, it, does that have all the same features they've been talking about? I, I'm not familiar with it. <laughs> I have no idea, because I do not have it myself. Oh, okay. No, I, I, I know it exists. That's that's as much as I, yeah. I know. Same. Um, I, Let's acknowledge the fact that even though I, I play a little bit, it's not an Age of Sigma podcast and gloss over that. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I do know that I think they've got the, um, the chap who helps do the LVO as well, writing a bit of it or doing some, something towards it. So that's also a positive thing. From the update side of things, is that the guy that's joined the community team that was on Switch? Yeah, that was mentioned in the that was mentioned in in that particular part of the, the stream. Yeah, the um, I think the one you're on about, Dave, is that the guy who worked at, on Nova or has evolved Nova? Ah, Nova, and the, okay. and the, yeah, and they're bringing him into the ah. community team to work as part of the sort of like official event sanctioning team as it were like the liaison or consultant or whatever um but it sounds like they're basically bringing in someone who's been involved in the independent um like event and organized player circuit to actually sort of have a voice in-house so i'm sure i cannot remember his name for the life of me but i'm sure he's gonna you know bring a lot of good things to certainly organized events we've been overlooked once again then yeah But yeah, I, I do find it funny how they've been almost deliberately vague with what the app is actually going to do. Like, they've talked, obviously, about writing army lists and that you will it will contain digital publications because you 
get a redemption code with a paper copy. But they've also they've almost tried to brush those under the carpet as the oh it does this, but that's not really what it's all about. It's almost like those are some things it happens to do as well as the main thing it does, but they haven't really said what that is. Yeah, I think they they push that. I think it's going to get its own separate splash. I think uh, as as something else to keep us interested down the road. I think that's one of the reasons they didn't want to say much about it. Yeah, they've sort of they've hyped it up as the app for all things Warhammer Forty K, and like well, list building and publications are surely the main aspects of that. But that's not what they seem to be driving at. So we'll yeah, see. I mean. If it could, there's a possibility it may function as a play aid as well, of course. I mean, I wonder whether or not, for example, it might contain um, like tracking information for the new Crusade system. So like, you might be able to personally track the development of your army and your units and your narrative within the new Crusade stuff within the app. I don't know, that's pure speculation, but well, that could be something. That, I wouldn't example, be surprised. Um the new crusade—they've said already that the new crusade stuff's going to be featured in any new codex releases that they're going to. So it will be an inbuilt yeah. part of the codex. So we might we might as well talk about that a bit a little bit now. So so like moving on from the actual like the new models and the new um, dynamic of the new Necrons and Space Marines. Looking a bit at the new ways to play Ninth Edition, one of the big features that obviously stands out to to me certainly as a narrative player is this new crusade system that apparently 9th edition is going to be introducing and it basically sounds to me like I wonder whether or not it's going to be a progression system in the same vein as like Blood Bowl Necromunda, Warcry but applied on the scale of the large battle games of Warhammer and Age of Sigmar and equivalent and I'm wondering how involved it's going to be, how granular it's going to get. And to be honest, it sounds really promising so far. It sounds really interesting. Yeah, I'm hoping they've learned some good things from uh, from some of those specialist titles like Bloodbone and Necromunda that have done really good jobs at um, evolving campaign systems uh, where you start with, with you know, your bog standard force and then as a result of experience you can expand and specialize your force in different ways um, and I, I hope it's more than just the characters uh, with the character builder that we saw in one of the chapter the, the older chapter approved was really nice it really customized but it only worked in in real narrative games and I, I hope that sort of uh, ability to customize in, in a way specific to your army is really at the heart of, of, of that new new system I, I believe they have uh, said that it does affect units as well as just like the characters and the individuals um, and I think it's a really innovative approach to adding like narrative play elements to what you would otherwise consider sort of like pick up and play games because yes we all know there are very successful ways of running big narrative campaigns in groups of players over you know a period of months or years even in some cases you know where you you build a narrative within that select environment of a sort of like closed loop ecosystem quite often once it gets rolling and 
those can be a lot of time and effort to one start and two keep alive. And I think Games Workshop has obviously done all sorts of publications in the past and expansions, things like Mighty Empires and um, Planetary Conquest, or whatever it was called, and similar things, or these campaign books, to sort of cater to that sort of thing. But it still takes a level of dedication to make them work. It's not so easy um, to just jump into and I think the crusade system is their new approach to trying to make narrative elements to your army and your collection and your games be very accessible it's very minimal effort which is a, a great thing it's, it's one of the things I like best about <clears throat> about the whole hobby is, uh, is the narrative side of it so if it's easier and more accessible uh, and that works really well I think it's going to be real big from what they've sort of suggested it sounds like they've taken a lot of um sort of design elements from some of their sort of specialist games for the campaign system so it works more within your own games and you don't have to rely on playing other people as regularly if that makes sense um so from what they've sort of described is it it, the outcomes affect you and you don't have to worry so much about how that affects the other player if that makes sense. I mean, I'm just pleased that you can kill off your Space Marine Captain and whack him in a Dreadnought, from what they've said. That's that's just that's <laughs> yeah. that, that's just me happy. <laughs> I, well, for me, that's one of the things that makes me feel like there's going to be real confidence and support for this system, because like you say, I think the thing realistically that Crusade is going to live and die by is how good it is on an individual level, like how easy it is to track and how easy it is to integrate into games with another player who might not be tracking a crusade for their army or might be at a different stage in their crusade. Because it'd be easy enough to get, you know, four players who all play regularly and they all play their games at a consistent pace and then your crusades advance at a consistent pace. But realistically, that's not much different to just having a closed campaign that those guys are playing in together the difference is going to be if you've got a regional area that has you know 20 30 50 plus players who play 40k and they all individually choose to track their own crusades Mm -hmm. and see how easy it is for you as an individual to just take your army play as the crusade version of your army against someone else who might even not be using a crusade version and seeing how much it influences the game and they have said that there is going to be a like a balancing mechanic um, between like crusading forces so presumably if you had someone that was had a very advanced crusade versus someone who was a, a newer crusade i'm guessing there'd be something like an underdog bonus or like inducements in blood bowl or equivalent that might take the form of extra command points or bonus relics or something, I don't know. But it sounds like they've put effort into try and make sure that it is very compatible regardless of where both players are in their own crusades. So you uh, you mentioned, Dan, that they've said that it's going to be things like if you're playing Space Marines you could, in theory, if your captain got injured too much or too often across a series of games, he might actually be that injured that it's time to intern him in a Dreadnought, 
and you can do that. Yeah, they've they've also mentioned things like, um, which has just got me like their actual story based things. So they mentioned uh, characters falling to the black rage. They've mentioned um, critically wounded characters, all those sorts of things, which which actually then starts to develop the the those stories your army you've always said oh this guy's been interned in the dreadnought he used to be my captain from before you can actually have that which is really cool idea and i think that is evidence that they're going to be supporting crusade throughout the edition and i think it actually is going to be a really a real like shot in the vein for narrative play it's really going to invigorate it because it feels like you're talking about adding in faction-specific stuff in each codex, and they've said that this is going to be the case. So, whereas at the moment, you know, your codexes include your faction-specific stratagems, relics, even tactical objectives for like your Maelstrom deck. Well, apparently now the the new codexes moving forward are also going to include Crusade content specific to that faction. So things like yeah, only Space Marines. I'm going to have the option to take their dead and dying HQ and turn him into a Dreadnought. But then, equally, I won't be surprised if you could take um, an Eldar Autark who dies and have him come back as a Wraith Lord because they put his Spirit Stone in it. You know, um, I'm just trying to think of other sort of like you examples can have, you could have. You can I won't have. be surprised if. Um, for orcs, I was going to say it might be that you have your war boss actually gets bigger and tougher the more fights he fights in, you know, the more battles he's in. That's cool. So he might end up just physically getting larger, like more toughness, more wounds, you know, whatever. You could also have things like with your nids, you could the more biomass you consume, the bigger creatures you can start to employ. Um, you could have Necrons, the sort of more thing, more battles. You, you, your tomb starts to awake. It's more sort of a requisition type S point. Oh, you've you've done this battle. Now your immortals have started to awake type thing. It'd be really interesting to see some, some of the narrative stuff you can pull from that. I mean, they have mentioned um, that Crusade can play in an escalation style. So, like, you start off with, like, a 500-point force. Um, that then, by whatever measure of time, you then move on to a thousand point force, fifteen hundred, and so on. I don't know whether or not that could also be reversible. So it might be that in some games you scale down because you're just sending like a scouting force or whatever. Um, it could be interesting. I think, like I said, that inbuilt flexibility to sort of pick up your army and in your next game say that it's going to be part of your crusade regardless of game size, opponent, or even the outcome of the games. Like, so long as you're able to consistently keep tracking your Crusade, I think it will work, and I think it's going to add a lot of life to it. It's almost like building like additional stratagems into your army as it develops, and I think this could be really interesting. I just wonder whether or not how widely accepted it will be by the community if you get two people who show up at a game night and one wants to play their army with the layers of their crusade on top of the army list and someone who'd rather not and just wants to play with the like out of the book army lists i think we, you know yeah, what i think mean? i hope it does scale in both directions because if it doesn't then they'll just be be addressing that group of, of small gamers that play together but if it, it does scale in both directions i really 
I think f by putting it in the codex, it elevates it slightly um, in people's... It kind of gives it the same Yeah, it kind of makes it go, oh, look, this is in the codex. This is something you can try. It sort of puts it along the same uh, sort of level as stratagems, um, Maelstrom cards. Um, by and, and if it plays in a way that you can sort of just turn up and go, I'd like to play my crusade army tonight anyone else want to have a go oh yeah i'd like to as well then that sort of accessibility will make it really successful it just depends on the accessibility of it and whether it's whether as you said you can scale both ways yeah and i have heard talk as well about um people looking to integrate it into like weekend events so you could run or be at a narrative event weekend, you know, it could be or a competitive one, whatever, you know, and it could be running using crusade rules in effect for that event. So you're going to play your five games of the weekend and actually you are going to suffer lasting injuries, casualties, but also unit improvements and so on. You know, if in game one you've got your, your captain striding around, blasting people apart with his Pazabist on Power Fist, but by the end of game five, he's been interned in a dreadnought, you know, then yeah, you know, that's your campaign weekend. I'd be well up for that. That could be, yeah, <laughs> th that, that would sound good, wouldn't it? I'd be massively up for that. The the idea of just <laughs> turning around going, oh yeah, all right, okay, you're, here's your combat patrol. And by the end of it, they're sort of ragged war veterans who've gone through the everything. Or you're sort of like Garsman. I mean, the, the only problem I can see is Garsman the attrition rate of which my guardsmen will never actually get to the point where they can experience up because they've just become smears of <laughs> smears on the battlefield. They don't last very long. Oh, you've experienced, <laughs> you survived a battle. Well done. You get a helmet. <laughs> yeah. That's brilliant. I could just, um, I, I can even imagine say like multi stages of it. Like you could have, um, like as a blood angel, like you say, you you could end up having a like lieutenant who gets a field promotion after game one and becomes a captain. But then in game three, he falls to the black rage. Yeah. But then in game four, he gets interned in a dreadnought. So like in your narrative, this guy who started out as a lieutenant by the end is a death company dreadnought. Yeah, <laughs> it'd just be so cool. And it's the same guy. <laughs> It'd be brilliant. Um, yeah. So. I mean, one thing that we've sort of touched on as well is talking about how Crusade might hopefully scale up and down across games, but it seems hopeful that it might do because it seems like scale of game is something that has been addressed a lot more in 9th edition because they've talked about... Essentially, 8th edition introduced the, the concept of the three ways to play but that being open play, narrative play, and matched play. And it seems like 9th edition now is going to introduce more layers to the ways to play. And they've talked about how scales of game is going to be translatable in both points, but also in like board size, missions that you play, um, CP that you have available... And effectively, like the time frame in which you're looking to play 40k. Um, there's always been this dream of like the 40k in 40 minutes, you know, something you can play on your lunch break. And they've not gone into great details yet, but it seems like 
rather than just saying, do you want to play 500 points, 1,000 points, 2,000 points, whatever, and the core rules of how that game plays, no, sorry, not how it plays, but like how it's set up being the same, it sounds like they're looking at a way of having different setups. So if you wanted to play a 1,000-point game, you might only play on a 5 by 3 board playing space and only have half as many command points as you would do at 2,000 points. And you would play a different set of missions specifically designed for playing at 1,000 points than you would do for playing the missions at 2,000. So it's going to be interesting to see how granular they go into that. Yeah, it's interesting to see. There's got to be some variation to make that work effectively. I certainly know that, you know, depending on how you deploy, build your army list and uh, how you, you play the game can have a, as big an effect, if not more, on uh, on how long a game lasts. And we see it at our, our gaming club where, you know, a 1750-point army is usually what you can fit in th- a game in three hours uh, in, in the current edition. But there's, there's some folks that never finish because they've got all the velos and all the stratagems and all the psychic powers. And, you know, when you're rolling 60 attack dice in, in, for each unit in your firing phase and re-rolling any misses and re-rolling wounds, um, it does slow the game down quite a lot. Um, and and it'd be interesting to see whether smaller games have any of those uh, rules that are there for, for good and flavour and part of what we like about 8th and then now presumably ninth. whether any of that will be mitigated in smaller games to help you uh, play the game faster but keep the flavour. It seems like from what they've said Dave is that you get depending on the size of the game that's how many command points you, you, will, you will start with um, okay. which will make a huge difference on, on sort of as you said how many re-rolls and how many uh, stratagems you can get and use um, because the one of the the things for sort of building an army now is that you you don't you don't seem to get the command points from what you, what um, formations you choose. Um, you get a set amount, and then you can buy buy stuff in um, using spending the CP, which is brilliant because it puts everyone on a a much more uh, balanced level. It means those units armies that you possibly might not have seen so often we'll get a get a get get a chance to shine i'd love to see some custodes uh yeah maybe. also it's definitely a positive way forward it, it makes it a lot more accessible as well because you don't have to explain to relatively new players the concept of building attachments in order to generate your cp to do your strategies you just say here you go you have 10 cp for this game you know, it it does make it quicker and more accessible in that regard. But I I agree that it also makes it a more level playing field. And interestingly, it means that you're not going to be tied to including things like the Loyal Thirty Two yeah. or your, well, also, your free mobs of Gretchen and so on. Like it should free up army list construction a fair bit. Also, it might have an un- uh, unforeseen um uh what what's the word unforeseen uh. It, consequence. consequence that's the, that's what I was looking for or advantage <laughs> as such because I find in a lot of the, the theme scenarios you never seem to have enough CP left over to use any of the scenario based stratagems so I'm hoping See, that that will sort of allow people when you use 
the narrative based stratagems to be able to start experimenting with some of the, the stratagems from the scenarios themselves as well I kind of always liked to apply a bit of a house rule to that anyway because if you've ever looked at the planet strike and stronghold assault rules from chapter proof 2017 um, they include uh, two additional detachments one that is the attacker and defender detachment in both scenarios so like there's a planet strike attacker um, detachment that you have to have as at least one of your detachments, but it gives you like six command. Uh, I think it gives you like eight command ah. points or something. Basically, it gives you a ton of extra command points, but you're only allowed to spend those on planet strike stratagems. Right. And when you look at things like the Crucible of War missions or the Echoes of War that have these unique stratagems that are tied to the mission. I tend to house rule it that both players just get five extra CP. Ah, nice. But those CP can only be spent on the mission stratagems. Yeah, that's good. So you get to experience those unique stratagems in that unique scenario, but without feeling like you're compromising on doing the thing that your army does. Mm -hmm. That's very cool. And I don't know whether or not that might be something that we do see. You know, if if the CP quantities each player has access to are being determined by the rule set as opposed to by the player's army choices, then that gives the rules writers more opportunity to hand out more CPs in any certain situation. I mean, this is one of the reasons why I actually dislike the command reroll stratagem, because whilst I understand its usefulness in the context of the game mechanics, I think that every time a CP is spent on a command reroll, that's a wasted CP from a a fun perspective, because you're not doing anything interesting with it. You just reroll for that last cannon to roll a one. You, you know what I mean? You, you're not launching a preliminary bombardment with your guard or bringing in a green tide with your orcs or launching an ambush with your gene stealer call yeah or, or calling a vox in and blasting your own infantry up with with uh, basilisk rounds which tends <laughs> to happen with me but <laughs> or, or using the yeah. grenade stratagem which i love <laughs> exactly there's all the all the cool and fun stratagems get overlooked because it's more efficient to re-roll that damage roll do you know what I mean yeah <laughs> absolutely although you can't so, trade that one command point re-roll for an orbital bombardment of course <laughs> it's a bit more expensive mean, I'll try yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah so like maybe just having that universally set amount will provide more opportunity to use them in more interesting ways but that said they have also talked about there are going to be more ways to use your command points in the new edition and they've, they've said that they're wanting to try and increase they want to the, increase your tactical options 
Yes, things that they talked about wanting to give people the option to spend command points doing things that commanders would do. And this is one of the things they've talked about with how like tactical reserves is going to change in ninth edition. Um, being that for one thing, um, apparently if you want to put something in reserve, you can spend CP to do so. Now, they haven't specified, but I'm assuming that would mean things that can't normally otherwise go into reserve. So yeah, they've you don't they've... have to spend a CP to let you terminate as deep strike. Um, they've they've actually said it's it's for things that oh, they've... yeah they've they've said it's for things that don't usually have the option to do it so that you can outflank things, uh, which is really exciting because it's it then puts it in a sort of your battle is a part of a bigger war. So you're pulling in units from other fronts, which is quite cool. I think one of the things that they, they mentioned they wanted to get away from was the feeling of archaic military combat where two armies line up and charge at each other. Because mm-hmm. in the you know, sci-fi universe of the 41st millennium, that's not how battles are typically fought. The forces don't meet in an open field, as it were. <laughs> And engage on a you know one front versus the other it is a very three dimensional combat space, and commanders will be using that to their advantage, and part of that helps if you're able to suddenly um, take a unit of orc boys and have them outflank. Like if I can spend one CP and have a mob of thirty boys wait till turn three to arrive in the enemy's backfield, or you know turn two in the flank or whatever. That's a more interest. That's an additional tactical option I have, rather than just using teleport strike to deep strike them. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I don't know. This is speculation, but perhaps if you're an outflanking unit, you might be able to arrive within nine inches, for example. Like, because that would be an advantage over deep striking. You're actually sneaking up on that opponent. You're getting to them, so you've outflanked them. So you're right on top of them. Who knows? Um, what else did they mention? They also mentioned flyers. Um, That's one of the things that you like, right, Tony? Oh yeah. <laughs> so aircraft, basically, it sounds like they're going to start playing them the way that I think they should have always been played in eighth. Anyway, <laughs> um, the key thing they've highlighted is that flyers no longer get destroyed if they're forced to go off the battlefield, and in fact, you can choose to have them fly off the battlefield edge, and they will return in a later turn. Um, to you know, perform more strafing runs. And I think it's interesting that they've they've talked about strafing runs almost as if it's a mechanic, but they haven't specified how or what it does. Um, so I'm wondering whether or not there's going to be an option to almost like make an attack without your model staying on the board, like it comes in, doesn't attack, and goes off again. Um, or if perhaps it can only be intercepted by other flyers or things that can shoot at flyers if it's performing a strafing run. I don't know. But the main thing is that, yeah, they've said that they can leave combat airspace effectively. That thing that they could always do anyway if you used the Death from the Skies rules in the rulebook. They're the hard-to-find ones that nobody knows where they are. Yeah, exactly. It's just <laughs> hidden away on some of the last pages of the book that no one ever read. And I think it was a crying shame that people didn't know it was there. But it was always an option in 8th. It just wasn't technically part of the core rules. So 
a lot of people didn't realize it was there and it seems like they're just going to bring that in now anyway so uh, and they have said they've overhauled some of the stuff with like how flyers move block and stuff and interactive infantry and i'm interested to see exactly how they work but they have talked about reworking them from the ground up as it were yeah, no, I think I couldn't think it was much better. I mean, some of the artificial behaviours that we've seen with flyers is one of the reasons I, um, I was not really aware of it before we talked about it a few months ago on the podcast. But um, it's, it's put me off flyers. But actually, since since I I heard that about ninth, I've uh, actually picked up a, um, a, a built a storm. Uh, I nearly called it a budgie, a storm talon, the small one, isn't it? Yeah. For for my flesh terrors. Uh, flesh eaters. Oh goodness me! I paint them flesh down red. <laughs> they are flesh eaters. Is that twice I've done that now tonight? Three times. This is a fun new game. I'm going to correct you every time you get it wrong. Now I, I very much welcome it because I should be getting it. But yeah, so we're we're sort of um, straying now into some of the more rule specific stuff that we know is changing in ninth edition, and so there's a couple that they've outlined. Um, for starters, they have finally brought in the rule of everyone always hits on sixes now. Which again, it it, it was in eighth, it was in Cities of Death. So it was. They, yeah, we talked about that before. Yeah. Yeah. So they've pulled it into the core rules now. So no matter how bad the odds seem, there is always that chance that straight bullets or weight of fire will get through. So... Uh, regardless now a, a 6 to hit will always be a hit um, but equally they've apparently introduced a modifier cap so you're never going to get um, better or worse than plus 1 or minus 1 to hit and I would assume that applies to, to wound as well see this is um, that's interesting because now it starts making people well not making people but it's it now against starts people who might play it in a more sort of I want to take the things that work they might now start to think oh actually because I can only get a maximum of this I'm going to take some of the units that I might have overlooked before so we've been discussing about Reavers I really like Reavers <laughs> Dave we, we've we've been talking about Reavers and how they could be a, a, a unit that people go ah they're only Reavers but I'm quite quite intrigued by whether they can they can, they can change in the new edition and and because uh, they're really cool. <laughs> I mean, you say that, but then they've also got a new competitor, haven't they? Because they don't have to be a Reaver now in order to be a combat Primaris yeah. now that they've learned to pick up a chainsaw. <laughs> they, they found the on switch. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's interesting that, as uh, they put in this max modifier, I mean, it stops degenerate stuff like um, Alia Tok. Um, aircraft using lightning reflexes to stack a minus three to hit, so you just suddenly stop like guard and tau from physically being able to hit you, and you make marines hit you on like sixes and stuff. You're getting to the territories of like, oh, I'm just unkillable, so why bother targeting this thing? Now, even guardsmen and tau, they're still going to be hitting that thing on fives. In fact, the fact that it's an aliotok aircraft doesn't mean anything because being an aircraft, it gets minus one to be hit anyway. Assuming that that rule still applies and they haven't changed that with flyers. Um, so it, I think it's going to stop some of the overly punishing um, 
almost like gatekeeper armies that would prevent other certain races from being able to properly interact in the game with them, um, which is good. Um, additionally, they've also said that apparently Overwatch has been tweaked slightly, but they didn't specify, so unless I've missed it somewhere, they haven't given the details of how. But apparently they've said that Overwatch has been adjusted slightly, so it's less punishing for assault armies. I think this um, is linked to the terrain, because they've been quite cryptic with the terrain. Because one of the things they mentioned in the nine ways it's improved is you can sneak up on enemies if through terrain. Yeah, um, apparently terrain is going to be getting a lot of sort of like universal rules and keywords that can be applied to any given piece of scenery in anyone's collection in order to apply certain game mechanics. So they've talked about how there's like keyword obscured, which means that that piece of scenery obscures line of sight regardless of what it physically looks like. You know, um, we mentioned in the Spearhead episode that... um, they, in the spearhead rules, there's like burning buildings, which mean that the building itself would obscure line of sight regardless of how it's structured because it's on fire and there's lots of smoke everywhere and it's just events have transpired in such a way that you can't really draw line of sight through that piece of terrain at that time. This is a similar thing where you can say that this ruin, even though it's quite open, if it's got the obscured keyword, be it because it's mission dictated or possibly a stratagem has given it that or whatever, it obscures line of sight, regardless of how big or tall it is or whatever else. So, you know, that's one way that you might be able to use the new terrain rules to obscure your advance, sneak up on people. Well, apparently one of the bizarre ones that they've fixed is the not being able to assault the upper floors of a building, even if you're yeah, something like yeah. a knight or a monster. Well, they... Um, again, they haven't specified what the fix is, but apparently if you're something like an Imperial Knight, you can now, on some method, swat and assault um, you know, those guardsmen that are cowering in the top floor of the building, because... You can reach them, so you can assault them. Yeah, they had to. Yeah, they had to put a stratagem in the Knights Codex for you to be able to do that. <laughs> they had to fix it I with know, a stratagem. It's it quite it? funny. This is absolutely as daft as you know the old hiding a window underneath a sky shield pad, so it couldn't be shot at, but it could shoot out. Um, which was, you know, it was just a an unfortunate artifice of the way that the rules came together. But these these things should be you should be playing testing these out really. Um, and yeah, there's a, I say a bunch of new things. They mentioned um, apparently there's going to be degrees of cover as well. So that to me sounds like hard and soft cover. Yeah. A, a, another thing that has been previously in 8th edition, but hidden away in the cities of Death Rolls. Um, so it might be that, you know, if you're in a bunker, say like um, a fortified trench bunker, so not an enclosed one, that might provide like plus two to your armor save maybe, rather than plus one that a forest Max modifier kappa plus or minus one though. Ah, see, I was wondering about this. I think they were talking about probably hit and wound rolls. Right. I don't think it's going to apply to armor because I mean, for starters, that would render everything of AP two or better redundant. Well, They're keeping uh, the current AP system 
then it can't apply to that. So I would assume the vice versa would be true. And if you've got a bonus to your armor save, that could exceed the plus or minus one. I don't know, but yeah. it just seems strange to me that they've they've mentioned there's a max modifier cap, but in a game system that uses multiple grades of AP. So they must be talking about it only applying to certain things. Yeah, I think you must be right. I can't see another way that that can be resolved. Um, for example, if you only had a max of minus one on morale tests, <laughs> it's also yeah. not great, which apparently they have also made some tweaks to morale. Um, it's not an overhaul. It's similar to the same system we currently have, but they've talked about things like battle attrition, which they didn't specify what it was, but I think it's probably something that's maybe a persistent casualty count um, on the unit. So I always find it weird that, say, you had a unit of 10 Space Marines, and in one turn they lost five of them. That means they're reasonably likely to maybe lose an extra guy or two to morale. But if in the following turn those same five survivors had two more members of them get killed, they didn't have a chance of feeling morale. Because statistically, that's a small percentage of losses in that one turn. But really, narratively, they've still lost seven of their ten squad mates at that point. They should still be suffering the effects of morale. Yeah, it does seem to get wiped away at the end of the t- turn, which is it does feel a little bit artificial. Yeah, and I'm wondering if that's perhaps what battle attrition is. Something that's kind of like you always are suffering a morale modifier equal to the dead members of your unit, perhaps, rather than the ones that have been killed that turn. Um, I don't know, because I mean, that would seem pretty harsh, especially on things like horde units, but that's a bit speculative. But apparently they have overhauled it a little bit, and especially fear effects and fear units, things like night lords and so on apparently are going to be more influential in the morale phase now, which I think is a good thing, because it feels a little bit of a nothing phase still, and I'd like to see it be more impactful. Yeah, I think it definitely would bring some more flavour to some of those armies that we'd like to see uh, better characterised on the tabletop if they if they can get that right. I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing how they, they resolve some of those issues. And speaking of large units, they have added this new definition of a horde unit although they haven't said how it's going to be defined yet i think it's probably going to be 11 plus models because typically most units in the game that are not horde things narratively tend to cap out at 10 members i think we can define that tony i think we can define that by saying wow (laughs) (laughs) i think it's probably going to be pretty much units that typically have a minimum unit size of 10 can be larger than that uh, probably going to be most of the things that are considered hordes. But the reason why that's important is because of the new blast trait where we're still keeping these random number of shot weapons in the game, but apparently the blast trait is now going to make it so that if a blast weapon has been used against a horde unit, it automatically gets its maximum number of hits. Because you're firing a battle cannon into a unit of orc boys, you're probably going to hit more than one or two of them. I mean, boys and termagants are going to be the obvious sort of things that fall into that category. But uh, do you think that would also apply to things like conscripts? Oh. I was wondering this. Yeah. Yeah, because I was like, 
I weirdly think it won't apply to guard infantry because guard squads themselves are only 10 strong. Yeah. So while it's a horde army, it doesn't particularly deploy horde units. I I think you're right. Conscripts, yeah. I think you're right. It will be a unit size that will cause it. It will be just depending on what the unit size will be. As you said, 20 or 11, it's going to be interesting to see. I, 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 for one, am very pleased about the, the blast rule considering the sheer amount of battle cannons that I own. <laughs> <laughs> you make it even faster for you to cut down your own men. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, it's going to be... It's going to be a bit... The only thing I can see which is going to be a bit that will slow my games down is now, just to speed things up, I tended to roll two shots at this because you know with Lehman Ross you can fire twice if you stay still and move under half. So I tended yeah. to roll 2d6 it. But if it's a unit cap size on the blast, it means I'm going to have to roll, do, do each oh, separate. Yeah. Does that make sense? Because there could be a chance that I knock the unit. The first un- shot takes yeah, the low. Yeah, that's the, the only sort of required to be hard. Yeah. thing I can see is a, that's going to slow things down slightly. Uh, most most opponents are, are, are happy just to go, yeah, roll, roll. Uh, both shots at the same time, but I won't be able to do that if that's the case. Uh, the only time I've never ever been, uh, the only time I've not been able to do that is against playbearers when they're over unit sizes twenty because they get a minus one to hit. So that's the only time I've uh, yes and yeah. Um, I mean, the other way they might do it is if horde is in fact a keyword and just the unit has keyword hard regardless yeah. of its unit size. So, for example, guard infantry squads might have the keyword hard, and then they're always a hard, even though they're a hard of 10 or less. But the thing is, there's probably 10 or more squads of those hard units in their case, so they still might be worth the designation of hard. But I think it's more likely it's the unit size. Yeah, the other one I was going to raise that might be a horde but might be less than 10 in size is scarab bases. Yes, it might be that, say, swarm, anything that has the swarm keyword is also considered a horde, maybe. Yeah. But you wouldn't, I mean, I mean you, you, we have seen more than 10 in once on the table, but they don't have to be, do they? No, but then that is a throwback to previous editions. Swarm units used to have a rule that was vulnerable to blast. Where if they physically were hit by a template weapon, um, they would suffer like double wounds and stuff because they were susceptible to explosives. So yeah, um, that's interesting. Um, what else? What else have we not mentioned yet? Oh, um, tanks and monsters. Yeah, <laughs> another rule. I'm very another rule. I'm very happy about. Uh, so tanks can no longer get tank tagged by uh, infantry in combat. Uh, and are able to shoot uh, now they're a bit i don't know if it's they can shoot into the combat they're in but they can definitely shoot out of it so that's going to be very I interesting i was wondering this yeah they've not specified the parameters of what a firing in combat means does it mean you can fire despite being in combat uh, but you can't fire at the things you're in combat with or does it mean you can fire your weapons but only at the things you're in combat with I, I guess I it depends on whether that battle cannon's a pistol weapon. <laughs> 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 well, the, the, they've they've kind the the shadow sword vari- uh, the, the bane blade variants has a kind of uh, rule that you can f- it has this already built into its its 
profile mm. so it can fire its heavy bolters at a unit in combat um, as if it was just shooting at a unit whereas the other weapons can't but i'm wondering if they're going to apply some sort of modifier to hit if you're in, if you're stuck in combat which would kind of balance it out i think so like whether it's a minus one to hit uh if you're if you are tagged in combat which would be the same as if you uh, no because you can't if you leave combat you can't shoot at all but it I, I don't know it's going to be an interesting one to see how they do that um but it it has been frustrating to watch my tanks just sit there and go right there's one plague poxwalker touching it uh before i forget actually they did mention that um they were looking at ways to introduce more penalties for falling back from combat as well oh. um because obviously, you know, you falling back from people that are currently on top of you is giving them a tax opportunity. Um, you, you're not keeping your guard up as well. And I think they mentioned that one of the new universal stratagems is going to be something that uh, punishes um, an enemy unit for falling back out of combat. I didn't specify how or what exactly, but apparently it's a thing. And then what else is there? Overwatch. Should we talk about Overwatch already? Yeah, very briefly. They sort of said they mentioned that apparently it's going to be less punishing to assault armies because I think the idea is that I mean I know this was a bane of my life when Overwatch first came in because I played demons, orcs, and I can't think what my other army was, but it was basically another assault army at the time, and going from an edition where Overwatch wasn't a thing to suddenly, wait, you get to shoot me again even when I charge? <laughs> That's when I'm supposed to be safe. I was a pain, and they've said very briefly that they know that running across the board as an assault army or an assault unit, that just you spend most of the time getting shot, and then you finally get to the enemy, and now you're about to do what you're good at, and then you get shot again. And it, it can sometimes just be a little too much of a gut shot. You know, it just takes that momentum out of your charge um i think they always envisioned overwatch has been more like those stray shots that happen when like some intercessors charge some eldar guardians or whatever it's not particularly like it's meant to be taking the wind out of the intercessors it's just a few extra pop shots but it does more to a horde of orc boys or termagants than it was kind of intended to but anyway, like we don't know exactly how much it's been tweaked, but hopefully it'll be a little less painful to just try and charge in through those stray rounds. And I think that's sort of like more or less everything that we've talked about that's been shown or previewed so far. So unless there's anything either of you two can think of that's been missed or mentioned elsewhere and perhaps I've not heard of it yet. Not that I can no, think sure, of. I'm sure that if we if we think of something else I'm sure we can put it in the notes for a future oh, yeah. show. Um so from obviously the perspective then of narrative play it's sort of interesting to think, you know, what does ninth edition mean for narrative play moving forward? And I have to say I'm quite confident actually this looks like perhaps this will be the addition to play narrative if you haven't done before because it looks like it's actually going to be getting more support directly from games workshop than it almost has ever had before um we've mentioned 
the crusade system already, which I think is it's almost kind of like Games Workshop making a promise that they are going to be actively putting out narrative player content throughout this edition because I've never seen them do anything that's so dedicatedly driven at a, a narrative player perspective and I think it's great. Yeah, I think the only other thing I'd highlight around narrative play was was something that was said in the fact. I don't know if anybody's aware. Uh, there was a there's a question in the fact uh, is is do I have to play this edition? And uh, they, <laughs> they quite yeah, clearly so say that no, it's absolutely fine to carry on playing first edition if you can find a, a friend who's going to do that. And uh, anybody out there that's interested in first edition in the Cambridge area, just uh, give it a shout. That's <laughs> 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 got a really good narrative system. Um. I think one of the key takeaways from all this is that they've said that like all the previous 8th edition publications are going to remain valid um, for 9th edition moving forward, which obviously the headline of that is things like the codexes that are currently out and the recent release of all the Psychic Awakening stuff. But they have also confirmed that things such as the Vigilus campaign books will still be compatible with 9th edition which means that all those lovely missions in there are, in theory, still compatible. Um, I mean, originally we were going to be doing our latest mission focus tonight, um, talking about one of the... It's actually one of the Psychic Awakening uh, missions, but then obviously over the weekend the 9th edition announcement dropped and there was no way we were not going to talk about it tonight. (laughs) Right, right. But it means that, like, in the next episode we can still talk about that mission knowing that it's still going to be valid in a ninth edition world and it's um, also still valid that dan dan carries on listening through all the back yeah which he's not not listened to yet. yep yeah yep yeah he's not off the hook yet <laughs> I, i'm i'm just pleased i get yeah. to do a lot of the, the missions that i because there's so many now i can go back to them and still go because the there's a couple in the vigilance books which i'm really excited about using yeah. and then also the battle which also means the battle zones work as well uh, in yes, theory, yes, which is pleased, really in good. Theory, it seems the battle zones are still valid. Yeah, we talked about battle zones quite a lot, right? Yeah, they're probably because all they do is to just add an additional game mechanic layer to a mission. And since it sounds like the core fundamentals of eighth are being kept for ninth, like you know, if the phases remain more or less the same. Um, like mortal wounds are still done in the same way, which is often quite a key component of most of the battle zones. Um, you know, things like the new terrain rules sound like they're only going to be enhancing the battlefield. They're not going to be um, preventing these sort of like battle zones from applying to them. Um, in particular, for me, I'm really pleased that it's an addition change that doesn't invalidate the rules for the gameplay expansions. So, yeah. Spearhead, Planet Strike, Cities of Death. They're in theory probably going to become compatible with ninth edition rules. You might get a little bit of redundancy. So, for example, the hard and soft cover rule in Cities of Death might vary slightly to the degrees of cover in the general terrain rules of ninth. But I don't think, I mean, personally, I don't think there will be a difference. I think they'll probably be identical. And secondly, even if they are slightly different, it's such a minimal difference and thing that you can just choose which one you're going to use for that game. Do you use your standard hard and soft cover rules for 9th edition, or do you use the Cities of Death ones? 
Yeah, I think there's just going to be uh, a bit of overlap which you can just work around. I don't think there's going to be too major, too major of a difference. No, I don't think there's going to be. Yeah, I think there's just going to be opportunities to do um, do more stuff that's cool, and there's going to be a lot more things that are compatible out there that you can choose from, which is is, is often what we highlight in these conversations on this podcast is. Um, is, is the range of options that are out there is probably with everything that is going to remain compatible for me, I think is going to be really quite quite large and growing going into the future. Yeah, I think it, it sort of goes without saying that 9th edition is a, it's a soft evolution of 8th. It's not the same sort of obviously drastic change that we had from 7th edition into 8th edition. And as such, it means that a lot of the existing content is still going to be valid and compatible and only with like say minor overlaps here and there which i'm sure will be easy enough and straightforward to account for which is good because i i have to say i hate it when like in hindsight i really disliked how the gathering storm was handled uh, at the end of seventh because things like the etheric storm um, stuff that was in the Rise of the Primark was really cool and had all these really unique gameplay mechanics, which then got invalidated about three months later because mm-hmm. the edition changed so drastically that Etheric Storms, you couldn't use that 7th edition um, Storm table because it referenced and used game mechanics that no longer existed or completely invalid in an 8th edition world. Yeah. Which doesn't look like is going to be the case in ninth, which I think is brilliant. No, and I think they've got the timing better. I know, <clears throat> certainly from, uh, I think Dan would, would say the same from, from experience at our club, when it would be coming towards the end of 7th, we saw an absolute drop-off in number of players playing 40k yep. because the, the rules changes just alienated people so much and people didn't bother with the story. But that's that's really not being the place the, the case with the, with the end of eighth. Um, the only reason we're not playing is lockdown. People were still playing regularly. It was at least half the tables were taken up at the club uh, with forty k every every Friday night. So, I've I've just thought of something else actually that that is quite a subtle thing, but could have a massive impact on how you um, plot out narrative gaming as in it was it, the series from Black Library is being integrated into the main narrative uh, the da- yeah. Dawn of Fire I want to say Dawn of Fire I, series I think that's what it's um, called yeah and that's that's massive because usually what they would do is that it would be a, it would be the other way around the game would inform Black Library well now as they can write alongside it which means you can really get some um, uh, much more flesh on the on the sort of plot hooks for your campaigns or uh, one-off missions and you can do if uh, you can get some really good ideas um and i think is it guy Haley who's right who's leading on that is it guy yeah, yeah. Um, and he's if you haven't read it the dark imperium stuff that he's written which i'm sure it's him i'm not so sure but i'm, I'm pretty certain it's him um, i think you're right. um it's been really good so it's it, that could be an interesting um part of the game as well seeing a lot more integration in the in the black library stuff as well which would be great because i'd love i'd love to do some of the 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 cool games from those series i mean 
I think it's really interesting that it looks like they're setting up Necrons to be the main antagonists of Ninth Edition. If you know Abaddon ripping the galaxy in half with the um, uh, I forget the word, the Great Rift, but whatever. Yeah, um, in eighth uh, was the the key bad guy moment. Well, it seems like the Return of the Silent King is going to be the big bad guy of Ninth, and uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see what the Necrons do to the galaxy on a larger stage. It'll be also interesting how Chaos factor into that as well, it's like, because they're very much a case of they don't get on too well. Uh, so it'll be really interesting to have almost like a, a Mexican standoff between Necrons being a much bigger player, um, Chaos and the Imperium trying to all sort of work out who's going to do what. Uh, it's going to be very interesting. I wonder whether or not yeah, I wonder whether or not the um, the Necrons are going to be carving out a bunch of space in the wake of the um, the Citrix Maledictum. That's it. That's mm-hmm. the one I couldn't remember. Yeah, because um, if they're going to be coming into the galaxy with this mastery of Blackstone and the ability to polarize warp energy, what's <laughs> what's to say that they um, create like a stable bubble of space in the middle of the rift? where previously it was obviously Imperial-held space, and obviously that's all been just devoured by the Rift since. And the Necrons come along and establish a pretty large and substantial empire in this now void of emptied Imperial space. And that could be interesting. Yeah. I think the other thing with the the, the better co- co- coordination between Black Library and the, and the design studio... Uh, leading the narrative of the game itself, I think um, would be the opportunity. It sounds odd, but the opportunity for more historical gaming within uh, 40k, that is to say, playing 40k battles that you know about in the universe, right? Yeah. Uh, gonna... like the three wars of Armageddon. And <clears throat> yeah, so yeah, on. yeah. Uh, the, the ability to connect them together better, if, if that creative uh, steer is a coordinated one between those two organisations within Games Workshop. I, I think we're going to see better uh, support for the ability to do that kind of thing uh, and play that kind of game as well, which is great. Recreating some of those battles uh, with your own figures is fantastic. It's it's interesting times. Like it, we don't quite know yet when it's actually going to land on shelves, or even in obviously this post-pandemic world when we're actually going to be able to roll dice and play Ninth Edition for the first mm-hmm. time. Um, but it's it's certainly something to look forward to, and I think it's going to be pretty great. I'm imagining that you know the success of Eighth Edition is only going to be capitalised on with Ninth, because they've got an entire three years worth of information now to take what is already considered pretty much one of the best editions of 40k and make it that bit better. It's gone through its, you know, teething pains now. It's made it had its first baby steps. Well, it's I think it's desperate. It and we're all in lockdown for a long time. We'll just have to try and take a, um, take a inspiration from, was it Adam Boyce in the in the Facebook group who found a way to play online with, with a friend, with a whole setup uh, at his place and the... Um, just using a video call to um, with a friend to, to be actually to be able to play from some 40k. Yeah, it was, it was an impressive setup. So yep. you should go check that out in the Facebook group if you get a chance. 
So if you're, you're getting desperate, you know, there's, there's, there's mm-hmm. we can, I'm sure we can find ways. <laughs> yeah. Because to be honest, I think that's probably going to be us sort of done for tonight. Really, you know, there's plenty of uh, speculation and excitement there for Ninth Edition, and I think come the next episode, we'll probably be back into our more regularly scheduled program. <laughs> Um, maybe just with whatever our latest news and updates are on the forthcoming ninth edition. But um, it's been great to have you both here with me tonight. So you know, thanks, Dave, as always, for coming and talking forty k with me. No, always, always a pleasure. And uh, thanks, Dan, for getting in contact and coming on the show. How how have you liked oh, it's it? Been, how have you it's been it? fantastic. Thank you very much. I, I get very excited about talking 40k. So as I've been talking, my arms have been moving around. So it's been, it's been really good fun. <laughs> so thank you very much. No problem. We'll, we'll definitely have to have you back on again because I say it's, um, it's been great having you on and the, that enthusiasm is clear to hear. It's a brave new world and it will soon be upon us. So until next time, guys, this has been the Narrative Wargamer podcast. And for once, it's not even up to us to discover new ways to play because Games Workshop is doing it all for us. And soon there will be lots of new discoveries to be made. This week, anyway. I'm sure we'll do more next time. (laughs) Yes, we will. So yeah, um, thanks for listening, guys, and we'll see you next time.